0: I'm really happy to be with you again. My name is Jason Dexter. My goal is very simple. Study the Bible and do what it says. And I want to help you do the same thing. So today we continue our study in the book of Ruth. We are now on Ruth chapter 2. Now one of the fun things about the Bible is that it's filled with people. People like you and me. Men and women who have great acts of faith, but also weaknesses. And it's fun to look at these people and to see what can we learn from them? What character qualities in their lives can we also emulate as we in turn follow after the Lord? Now, two of these very interesting people are here in Ruth chapter 2. Two of really the most amazing characters in the Bible Boaz and Ruth, a man and a woman of very good reputation and very good character. So there's really a lot we can learn from these two people. Let's go ahead and read Ruth chapter 2 and then study their lives and see how we can apply it to our own. So Ruth chapter 2. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. but Boaz answered her All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me and how you left your father and mother in your native land and came to a people that you did not know before the Lord repay you for what you have done and a full reward be given you by the Lord the God of Israel under whose wings you have come to take refuge then she said I have found favor in your eyes my lord for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked, and said, The man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, The man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, Besides, he said to me, you shall keep close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women, lest in another field you should be assaulted. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvests, and she lived with her mother-in-law. So Ruth and Naomi had returned to the land. We saw this in the last passage in chapter 1. Now, it's very interesting that the very first thing that we see Ruth do here is in verse 2. Ruth the Nobite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. All right. So, The first thing Ruth is recorded as doing is volunteering to go and glean. She doesn't wait around for someone to come or to rescue her or to serve her. Ruth is a woman who takes initiative. She sees what needs to be done and then she goes and she does it. She didn't wait for Naomi to ask her. She didn't wait around for someone to come in on a white horse and save her from this situation. It was already the time of the harvest. Naomi and Ruth had certainly not been able to plant and grow a crop so quickly, but they needed to eat. Now at that time, there were few paths that a young woman could take to provide for herself, and still fewer were respectable. And a number of these jobs, such as begging, were out of the question for a pure, industrious, young woman like Ruth. She also certainly did not want to resort to what some other desperate young women might have done at the time, which would be prostitution. So, as a pure, chaste young woman, she's very diligent and industrious, and she decides, I'm going to the fields to work. Now, there's a famous saying attributed to the Bible, but it's actually not in it. And that is, God helps those who help themselves. Now, this is not completely accurate, but it's not completely inaccurate either. God does favor those who are diligent and proactive. We should be people who observe what needs to be done and then take steps to do it, even if it's not comfortable. So I want to share a little bit about the Old Testament background of gleaning with you, and we can see that in Leviticus 19, 9 through 10. When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge. Neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. You shall not strip your vineyard bare. Neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. So in this verses, we see that God established a certain kind of welfare system for Israel. He commanded that landowners leave a small part of their crops unharvested so that the poor people could go and glean. Now this was certainly not a way that a poor person could become rich. There was no way to get enough food from this type of gleaning that you could become rich. But it was a way to have food to eat. Now the system which God set up has a key advantage over many welfare systems in the world today. And that is that those who needed to eat had a way, but that was that they needed to work. They needed to work if they wanted to reap the rewards of this welfare system. It would ensure that only hardworking and industrious people who needed it could get it. If you were not poor and did not need it, you would not go to glean. And if you were poor and able to but not willing to work then you could not get the benefit from it but if you were poor and you were willing to work then you wouldn't starve okay so God's system is actually a very good one it was available it was easy but it wasn't too easy meanwhile it did not put an undue burden on landowners for them the system was easy to implement they were not even required to gather the crops and then give it away All they had to do was leave a few crops in the field unharvested and then the poor people could go and get it. Now even so, some landowners would not want to share what they grew and would attempt to do the very, very least they were required to do by the law. Others would not even do the minimum required by the law and would just gather everything in. So in areas like this, people's selfish nature will often fight against God's mandate toward generosity. What lesson can we learn from this system? God wants us to be generous with what we have. Throughout the Bible, we see that God cares for the widow. He cares for the poor. And he wants us to as well. We can learn this in James 1.27. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, to keep oneself unstained from the world, to look after orphans and widows, two people groups who are normally among the most poor. So there are many times when you might not be required to share or be generous, but it's a choice you have a choice to use what God has given you to bless others or to hoard it for your own desires. So as always, when we study through these passages in the Bible, we are seeking to learn from the principles in the Bible, apply it to our lives, and transform our attitudes and behaviors. In here, we're reminded that God wants all people to be generous. And if he has given us much, then we should share with those who have less. Now Ruth knew about this practice. The fact that she was willing to go glean gives us some insight into her character. We learn that she was diligent. She was willing to work hard to feed herself and Naomi and she didn't expect a handout. In addition, she shows her humility. Now some people might say I would rather die than endure the humiliation of picking up others leftovers. Some people's pride would not allow them to stoop to such a low job, such a low occupation, a low social status. But Ruth did not overly care about her own face or her reputation. She was willing for others to know that she was poor and there's nothing the matter with being poor. She wasn't trying to put on airs. She wasn't trying to pretend to be someone else than what she was. She was in a difficult economic situation, so she diligently worked to dig her way out of it. Now, God does not appreciate vanity and pride. And here's another application for us. Be real about who you are. If you don't have a lot, there's no shame in that. Every kind of job, every kind of job is worthy, is good. Whether you are working in some job that pays the minimum wage, uh, it's good, right? Manual labor is good. God appreciates it when we do those jobs to the best of our ability for his glory. I should clarify for a moment when I said every job is good. Clearly, I'm not referring to jobs that require you to sin. But what I mean that is that work in and of itself is a healthy thing. Is a good thing, and we should not be embarrassed to do some kinds of work that others don't want to do. There's no shame in others knowing that we are not well off. On the other hand, there is shame in thinking that you are too good for some task. I've known some people that were out of work for a long time, and I would even tell them about some job opportunities that were available. And they were not interested because they considered that they were too good for these jobs. And so they remained without work. But work is a good thing. And every kind of work, no matter how small or insignificant we think it is, should be done with a good attitude to please God. All right, so moving forward, Naomi gives her blessing and says, Go, my daughter. This is in the end of verse 2. Go, my daughter. And so Naomi gives Ruth her blessing to go and glean. So verse 3, Ruth sets out. She went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. Now, I really love the following phrase. It says, and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz. Now, I believe that the author is subtly showing us God's providence behind the scene. It's really not a coincidence. Now, from people's perspective, it would appear to be a happy coincidence. Ruth was new in the area. She didn't know whose field belonged to which landowner. She was not going to target Boaz's field. But God's providence worked on her behalf and she happened to end up at Boaz's field. There are a couple of verses I want to read. First, is from Proverbs 16, The lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. That means even things which seem to be arbitrary or the result of random chance. In fact, God can control these things behind the scenes to bring about his preferred outcome. And also Proverbs 16, verse 9. The heart of man plans his way. But the Lord establishes his steps. Ruth made a plan, go out to the field and glean. But God was working behind her plan to give her a future and to establish her future. So after all of the difficult things that had happened to Ruth and Naomi, finally a bit of good luck, right? Well, of course, we know it's not luck and it's not chance There's a word for this and the word is providence. Now providence means that God divinely arranges circumstances and events in our lives to fulfill his good purposes for us. Now often he arranges these things unseen and unknown. Now the unbeliever will look at these things and say it's just a coincidence But those who put their faith in God know that he is causing all things to work together for good for us who love him. So God brought Ruth to Boaz's field for her good, for Boaz's good, for Naomi's good, and then we will see even for the good of the entire kingdom of Israel. We won't see that though until chapter 4, so make sure to come back. For that lesson so moving forward uh, we see another part of this that says Ruth worked from morning until evening here in verse 7 she came she's continued from early morning until now Ruth is very diligent she worked the whole day with only a short rest now rest is necessary sometimes but probably a lot less than most of us do it. After creation, God ordained that people should work for six days and rest one day. Now, whether that work is school, our occupation, fixing our house, doing ministry for the Lord, we should spend the bulk of our time doing these productive things. Now, if a person has a job and is constantly asking for breaks, it can often be a clear sign that the person is not A diligent worker. Now, when I was growing up, my parents wanted me to be a diligent worker. And often they might give me a job and then I would say, I need to use the bathroom, I need a drink, I'm tired, I want to finish later, and all the things that a typical child might say. But they encouraged me keep working, persevere until the job is done. Finish the job first and then play. So we see here that Ruth is a very good worker. She works the whole day with little rest, with no complaint. So how can we apply this to our lives? Well, we can ask ourselves, are we good workers? Do we work hard to finish a job until it's done? Or do we procrastinate? Do we put it off? Do we make excuses for not fulfilling our responsibilities? Do we give a half-hearted effort? Let us be good workers that when people observe us or comment on us, they would say, yes, Jason is a good worker. He finishes the task he's given, not he quits in the middle and I have to keep after him and I have to keep pushing him until finally he finishes it. All right, now I want to go forward to the next part about Boaz. And in verses 8 through 16, we can see Boaz's kindness to Ruth. Now, the first thing we see is that Boaz is generous. He says, Listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you're thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. And then later he tells his workers to purposely leave even more of the crops unharvested and even dropped on the ground so that Ruth can simply pick it up and take it. So here we see that Boaz does not try to hoard his crops. His goal is not to get the absolute most profit from this field that he can now Ruth doesn't yet, sorry, Boaz does not yet know Ruth personally, but he's happy to share what he has. Now, from this, we can learn an important principle about what God expects out of Christian businessmen. And here is a verse to share with you from Proverbs 19 17. Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord. He will repay him for his deed being generous to the poor. God wants Christian business owners to use the resources he's given them in a wise and generous manner. Now, for most secular businesses, their goal is to squeeze every possible cent out of the business. We should not run a business in that way. We should have consideration for our employees, for our customers even for our suppliers that concern is more important than dollars and cents so for application maybe you don't have a field like boaz but perhaps you have a business know that god has placed those resources into your hands and they should be generously used for building up god's kingdom now this is the amazing thing that i love about God's word, even though it was written thousands of years ago in a very different society. The people were largely farmers and landowners, and not so many of us are today. But those principles still apply. The principle here is generosity care for your fellow man, love for those less fortunate than yourself. That applies to all of us, and it especially applies to those who own a business. So another lesson we see from Boaz is that he is considerate. He is considerate. In verses 15 and 16, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves. Do not reproach her. And also pull out some from the bundles for her and leave it for her to glean. And do not rebuke her. Boaz treats Ruth in a loving way. He cares for her interests and needs. He cares for her as a person. He doesn't do the minimum that he can for her, but he goes above and beyond. So, from this passage, we already see how he acts out of love for her. This love is not a romantic love, it's not a sensual love. It's simple. He's putting her needs above his own, and he is treating her in a kind, In unselfish manner guys there's a lot to learn for you from Boaz about relationships how to be a gentleman how to love and care the special person or partner in your life and in fact everyone how to love and care for all of those who may be less fortunate than yourself so Boaz did not tell Ruth that he told his workers to leave some of the food, uh, some of the crops there on the ground for her. Now, if Boaz told Ruth, how might she feel? I think she might feel a little bit hurt. Uh, she might feel that it's not that fair or that he's too kind. It would be embarrassing for her to know that the workers were doing this intentionally. So Boaz considers her feelings by making sure her needs are met, but not drawing attention to the fact that he was doing it. He didn't make a big announcement to Ruth, this is what I'm going to do for you, or just directly give her several bags of grain. No, he didn't want her to be embarrassed, and he didn't want her to feel like he was giving her a handout. She might protest. She might in turn make a big deal out of thanking Boaz and showing him appreciation. He didn't do it for appreciation. He didn't do it to impress her. He did it solely for her well-being. There's an application here as well. It's not always necessary to tell people what you did for them or what you will do for them. Jesus exhorted his disciples that when they give, they shouldn't let their left hand know what their right hand is doing. In other words, give anonymously. Serve anonymously. This goes against our nature to seek out praise from people. Now sometimes when I do some housework that my wife doesn't expect, I like her to notice. When I go out of my way to do the laundry or do the dishes, I might glance over there. You know, do do you see... What I'm doing, Uh, here I am serving you. Do you have any words of appreciation for me? And so I like to get that recognition from her. But that is not the way that God wants us to serve others. He wants us to serve for their well-being without any thought of gratitude, without any thought of returning The favor. So the next time when you go to wash dishes or fold laundry, it's not necessary to toot your own horn and then tell your spouse about it and make sure that they notice you. Now, the next thing that we see about Boaz is his communication. And we see that really all throughout chapter 2 here. I'm going to jump back to verse 4 and notice how Boaz greets his workers. He comes, and then he sees his workers, and he says, The Lord be with you. And then they answer, The Lord bless you. This is apparently their customary back-and-forth greeting. And then, down in verse 12, he says, The Lord repay you for what you've done, and a full reward given, be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel. Boaz's speech is filled with references to God. Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. What a person talks about reveals what they are thinking about. Boaz thought a lot about the Lord, and he looked at everything through a spiritual lens. So when he talked, this desire for God's blessing, this consideration of God's promises and God's commands came out through his speech. So when you talk, To others, do your words reveal that you're focused on the things of God or something else? If you're always talking about the Lord, then this is a sign that he is the priority in your life. But if you're always talking about something else like money or sports or shopping, then that in turn reveals that those things are the priority of your life. So Moses, uh, (laughs) Boaz, shows that he is caring about the lord and his relationship with the lord and he is a very gracious communicator there's a verse in colossians 4 6 let your speech always be gracious seasoned with salt so that you may know how you ought to answer each person boaz's speech is like that his words are seasoned with salt Take special note of these verses here in 11 and 12. Boaz is very encouraging to her, very affirming and uplifting. He says, All that you've done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, how you left your father and mother, your native land, and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you've done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come, to take refuge. Now, Boaz was likely a businessman, and as a farm owner, he had a lot to handle. He had many workers under him, and by the account in Ruth, he appears to be pretty well to do, which normally goes hand in hand with being busy. But he doesn't cut the conversation with Ruth short by politely ending it. He instead gives a lovely Blessing, And he's very encouraging. He lets her know the positive things that he's heard about her. When someone hears such encouragement, their spirit is lifted up and they are strengthened and they are encouraged to keep doing those same positive things. Now Ruth may have felt lonely, destitute, discouraged in a new land with a new people, with a difficult job. But Boaz says many positive words to build her up. He first comments positively on her character. And then he ends with a blessing. And he says, May the Lord give you a full reward under whose wings you have come to take refuge. And it's a reminder that Ruth came to take refuge in the Lord. Her faith in the Lord brought her to this place. Now, however Ruth may have felt before this conversation with Boaz, it's almost sure that she felt better afterward. Here's a very simple but a very powerful application you can try today. Every conversation you have, let the person you're talking with go away feeling better, more encouraged after you talk with them than before. Many times it's not that way. Our words might discourage or hurt others. They go away feeling discouraged or at least not fulfilled. Let us speak encouraging words seasoned with salt so that when people hear it, they are joyful. They feel happy and peaceful and they go away feeling better, feeling more encouraged than they did before. We can give them compliments about their character or remind them about God's blessings. Now the last part of this passage in verses 17 through 23, Ruth reports to Naomi what has happened. So quick review so far, Ruth takes initiative. She goes out to the field to glean. This is a simple welfare system to provide for the poor that God has set up. And she happens to come to the field of Boaz, God providentially works behind the scenes to connect Ruth to Boaz and make sure that she and Naomi are taken care of. We see Ruth's positive qualities, her diligence, and her initiative. And we also are introduced to the character of Boaz, who is well-to-do and a businessman, but his greetings show that he is making the Lord the priority of his life. He's kind, he's considerate, and he's a good communicator to Ruth. Now, Ruth stays out the whole day, and after all of that hard, backbreaking work, she comes home and she still makes a meal for Naomi. And we see that in verse 18. She took it up and went into the city. Her mother in law saw what she'd gleaned. She also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. So, Ruth makes a meal for Naomi. And from this, we can see Ruth's selfless nature. She's truly a good daughter-in-law. Now, unfortunately, many daughter-in-law, mother-in-law relationships do not go so well, right? They're often filled with tension. So if you have some struggle in that relationship, come back to the book of Ruth, and you can see it is possible to have a good relationship with your mother-in-law. Let Ruth be your guide. Now Naomi observes that Ruth had somehow received special favor. She came back really with a lot of barley, much more than would be expected just by doing a normal gleaning job for the day. So from Naomi's comment, we can infer that it was not normal to gather so much. So Ruth Probably didn't have experience with gleaning. She probably didn't know that she gleaned much more than would be typical in a normal day. But Naomi immediately realized that. And Naomi says, Blessed be the man who took notice of you. Okay, so she clearly knew someone had gone out of their way to make sure that Ruth was provided for. So Ruth tells her mother in law, that she had worked at Boaz's field. And together they decide that they should go back, and that that Ruth should go back and glean in the same field. So Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, The man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And then she says in verse twenty-one. Besides, he said to me, "You shall keep close by my young men until they've finished all my harvest." That's Ruth speaking. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, "It is good, my daughter, that you go out with this his young women, lest in another field you be assaulted." So Naomi rightly concluded that Ruth would be safe in Boaz's field. And we'll see in the coming chapters that Boaz is a type of Christ. In many ways, he foreshadows the characteristics of Jesus. And here we see that Ruth is safe in his fields and is in danger elsewhere. In much the same way, we are safe in Jesus' arms. But if we're anywhere except for having a relationship with him, then we are in danger. So we start to see in chapter 2 that things are turning around for Ruth and Naomi. Naomi. Psalm thirty one nineteen says, Oh, how abundant is your goodness which you have stored up for those who fear you and worked for those who take refuge in you in the sight of the children of mankind. So in chapter 1, Naomi and her family leave Bethlehem, the house of bread. They go to Moab. Things start to get difficult. There are a lot of bad consequences for this decision. Then Naomi decides to come back. Ruth decides to come with her. At the beginning, Naomi is bitter. She says, I've come back empty-handed with nothing. But we start to see that when she comes back to her source, when she comes back to the Lord, these blessings start to come in as God providentially provides for them. And here in Psalm 31, we see that God delights in giving goodness, good gifts to his children, to his people. God wants to fill us up. So if we will come to God, even if we come empty and we say, God, fill me, he will do it because, of course, Jesus said that he is the bread of life. So I hope that this chapter was helpful for you. In this chapter, we see some very good characteristics from Ruth and Boaz. Character qualities that are very important if you want to have a good relationship. Ruth was pure, diligent, takes initiative, respectful, and also selfless towards her mother-in-law. Boaz is a good follower of the Lord. He focuses on putting the Lord first in his life. He is considerate, kind, compassionate, and a very good communicator. Which one of those character qualities do you need to grow in? I hope you'll consider that question and make an application from this passage to your life so that it can change you and help you to be more like Jesus. To see our entire library of over 800 Bible studies, please visit our website at www.studyandobey.com.